I was in bed, soundly asleep. Suddenly my eyes shot open. I was panicked. I, it started in my head and shivered down through the tips of my toes. You know that feeling when you miss your alarm and, and, and you're sure it's much later than, than you thought it was when you woke up? All you can say is ah, 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 and your mind is, is moving faster than your body, so you start stumbling around the room trying to get your bearings. I looked at the clock and it read 9.35 a.m. It was a Sunday morning. The service starts at nine and I'm the one preaching. So I throw some water in my face and throw it on my hair, throw some clothes on, run out the door. I speed to the church. By the time I get there, the room is full, but the stage is empty, except for an unoccupied pulpit. The crowd is waiting for me to preach. But in my hurry, I, I forgot my Bible, I forgot my notes. In fact, I didn't even remember what I was supposed to be preaching on. People were just staring at me, waiting for me to say something. And I panicked, I broke into a cold sweat, and then I woke up. This was a recurring dream that I had for about five years straight early in my ministry. It haunted me. Have you ever had one of those, uh, those really stressful, really frustrating recurring dreams? Well, it's even worse when you have a super stressful dream and you can't even remember what happened in the dream. In our passage today, it, it, in, in Daniel chapter 2, it begins on King Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan Babylonian king. He's the wealthiest man in the world, the most powerful man in the world. He's got a huge canopy bed made of solid gold, a bedroom suite the size of most of our houses. Nebuchadnezzar is the absolute dictator of an empire. He reigns with unchallenged authority over the whole entire world, which means he's the most secure person on the face of the earth. People see him as a god. But our story today begins with this same king tossing and turning in his bed. He violently kicks the blankets off, then he pulls them back on. He's sweating profusely. His 2,000 thread count sheets are soaked with sweat. He's mumbling something under his breath, and then every so often it escalates into a panicked shout. He's a tyrant with insomnia. You see, even really powerful people are only one sleepless night away from total insecurity. And he finds, a year into his reign of unparalleled power, that he's troubled. Money and power and acclaim cannot calm his troubled soul. So what would cause the mightiest man in the mightiest kingdom in all the world to lose sleep? Well, let's find out. We're gonna pick things up in Daniel chapter two, verse one. It says this, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Notice here that his spirit was troubled, not his mind, his spirit. This was no ordinary dream. It was a message from God. This was a spiritual wake-up call. But instead of turning to God for answers, look who he turns to, verse two. It says, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and they stood before the king. So he looked to the experts of his day, the specialists, the best and the brightest. The problem is that all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put little Nebuchadnezzar's dream back together again. Now, let me summarize the next few verses, what happens. Did you notice the king doesn't just want his dream interpreted? He wants them to tell 
him what he dreamed. He can't remember the dream. You ever have one of those? Like, I know it was really weird, but I can't remember anything that happened. Well, that's what's happening here. And so he's saying, first, I want you to read my mind and tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. And his magicians are exasperated. They say, listen, it's impossible. And he says, well, you're stalling. And they say, well, we can't do it. And he says, well, I'm going to have you executed. Oh, to be the king. Now, now look down at verse 10. It says, this is, this is the key to the whole thing. It says, the Chaldeans answered the king and they said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Did you see that? So, so, so they say there's not a man on earth who can solve this. Anybody facing a problem like that? Like I, I know our society is. These pagan sorcerers and fortune tellers are assessing the situation accurately. They're saying, what we have here is a God-sized problem. That's true. No one can help with this problem except what they say, the gods. And their assessment, unfortunately, the gods seem busy. The gods don't care. The gods are distant. The gods are unreachable. And that may be true of their gods, but we're about to find out it's not true of ours. The God of the Bible is different. And that's our big idea today. No God-sized problem is too big for God. But it raises a timeless and universal issue. Does God care? Does he know? Is he available? Is he concerned about the issues that we're facing? Or are we left on our, our own to struggle along as best we can? Guys, in your life, you will come across problems that the best in the world have no answer for. If you don't follow the God who has walked among men, you're going to find yourself without answers too. So the king's scary dream has left him hopeless and angry. It's left his top advisors dumbfounded and scrambling. And into the story comes Daniel and his God, whom, as we know, is not distant. And as we know, he does, in fact, care about the affairs of men. See, in this series, we're talking about how to live for God in a godless society. And that's where Daniel and his friends find themselves. They're in exile in one of the most evil societies in history, Babylon. And we're learning from how he conducts himself in that society. And, and we see evil and God-sized problems all around us in our society, too. A war in Ukraine that we're enmeshed in, getting trickier and trickier by the day. A national economy on thin ice. People divided over Roe versus Wade and what to do about the southern border and climate change and, and you have trust in all media eroding because every news story seems to be fraught with ulterior motives and Twitter files revealing just how corrupted big tech companies have become with government messaging and a whole generation as confused as ever over issues of sexuality and identity and we have an epidemic of mental health issues at, at all levels and people being muzzled for telling the truth and gun violence soaring in our cities and we have a national workforce that doesn't seem to want to work. I don't know if you've noticed, but our society has some God-sized problems. And some of you are personally facing some God-sized problems today. Maybe you got a call from the doctor that you never saw coming, the test came back positive. Maybe your spouse dropped a bomb this week and said, I'm done, I want out, this isn't working for me anymore. Or you found a suspicious text on your kid's phone that, that reveals the depth of what they've gotten themselves into. Or maybe your boss called you in to, to have a talk and said, listen, it's not working out anymore. Maybe you're in over your head with an addiction or you're paralyzed by fear. Maybe you're stuck on a treadmill of unforgiveness. Maybe you're haunted by some evil from your past. Like you have a God-sized problem today. 
I've got good news for you. God-sized problems may be too big for you, but they're not too big for God. And so today we're going to learn from Daniel how to walk through a God-sized problem and how to keep your head when everyone else is losing theirs. Like in these, these days, people were literally losing their heads over this. And so soon, what we see was the problem of the magicians and the enchanters is about to become Daniel's problem. So listen to verse 12 of chapter 2. It says, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. And so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And Daniel's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, me and my friends have been here for like five minutes. We're not Babylonians, remember? We're not wise men. We're Hebrews. But, but think about last week. They, they'd been assimilated. Now they get word that they have a God-sized problem on their hands. So what will they do? You know, there's a prevailing philosophy in our culture today. It says, when you face an impossible challenge, the answer lies within you. Look inside, they say. Trust your heart. The answer's inside you. Search within yourself. But Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, said very clearly, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He's saying, don't trust your heart. Your heart's not reliable all the time. Your heart is hot and cold. I think of Corrie Ten Boom, the wonderful woman who survived Nazi death concentration camps, talking about a God-sized problem. And afterwards, she went around the world telling people about God's grace and goodness. And she summarized Daniel chapter 2 very well when she said, listen, when you face an impossible challenge in life, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look up, you'll be at rest. And Daniel's about to get killed. And he decides to look up. Let's see what he does. Look at verse 14. It says, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Now let me pause right there and just remind you of something that we said last week. Throughout this entire book of Daniel, you will see him interacting with the members and the, and the rulers of this godless culture with absolute respect. Christians in America 2023, we have a lot to learn from this. Notice he speaks with prudence and discretion. Some other versions say with wisdom and tact. I want to remind you, we won't be heard Christians if we're whining or screaming all the time. Verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and he requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house, and he made the matter known to his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them, seek the mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So so I want you to look at the first step. We're talking about how to walk through a God-sized problem. The first thing is to make time to pray. Like this was a major turn of events for Daniel and his friends. Remember last week, things were going really well. They'd navigated the whole cultural indoctrination thing. Daniel was the valedictorian of Babylon University with a bright future, a promising career. And the next day he's about to be decapitated. Like that's sometimes how God-sized problems work. They, They come out of nowhere. And so what does Daniel do? He buys some time. He says, hey, hey. Why is this so urgent? I mean, you guys can kill us anytime you want to. Why does it have to be today? Here's what I want you to do, Ariok. Get me on the king's schedule. What's Daniel doing? He's doing some good old-fashioned stalling. The news came fast. 
One day things are great, now this. The crisis came quickly. Time is of the essence. The problem has pounced. And so what is the very first thing Daniel does, or any of us should do? Go into a panic? Like have an anxiety attack? Or maybe make a plan? Or try to escape? Or get a strategy together for where to go from here? No, Daniel's first step when facing an urgent problem was to make time to pray. He didn't exactly have time to spare. But he teaches us something here. Even when you don't have time to spare, make time to pray. Because impossible situations require divine interventions. God-sized challenges demand God-sized solutions. Daniel knew when they were facing a mountain, they needed to call upon the mountain mover. And that's what made him wiser than the magicians. So that's what he did. And in verse 17, he calls up his three friends and he says, guys, let's go to God in prayer. Did you see it? It says he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Notice, Daniel didn't choose to do this alone. He chose to share prayer with his crew, with his boys, with his little life group. So I don't know what you're facing today, but it may take some time, not for you to figure it out, but so that you can pray. Prayer should be your first response, not your last resort. You know, we saw a pretty amazing example a couple weeks ago. DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills suffered a terrible injury on the field on Monday Night Football. And as newscasters and commentators were scrambling to find words and fill time, ESPN's Dan Orlowski decided on air not to just send thoughts and prayers, but to actually pray. And he said this quote, he said, maybe this is not the right thing to do on air. And immediately his co-host, Marcus Spears, quickly says, it is. Like, it is the right thing to do, so do it. It's the first response. So find some friends and get praying. The first step is to make time to pray. Remember Paul's words from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And and here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A memorable summary of this verse would go something like this. Don't worry about anything, Pray about everything. Prayer isn't easy. It it takes time. It takes effort and energy, especially when it feels like you don't have time for it. And if you don't know what to pray, there are lots of prayers in the Bible. We're going to do one at the end, but, but, but you can learn from. You can borrow words from. I would direct you to the Psalms. Borrow some language from there if you don't have the language yourself to pray. Now, look what happens next in verse 19. Daniel's prayer was answered. It says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. That that last phrase represents our second principle in walking through a God-sized problem. It's to keep God in focus at all times. Give God the credit at all times. Daniel got an answer to his prayer. The dream made sense. His life was going to be saved. And so when God answers our prayers, the temptation is to say, okay, God, thank you. I've got it from here. Or maybe not even that much. Maybe you just forget that it was an answer to prayer in the first place. Or worse yet, maybe you try to take credit for the answered prayer yourself. Like you were without a job and then the perfect job offer comes through and all of a sudden you're telling everyone, hey, must have been my strong resume, must have been I'm just really good at interviewing or look, all my hard work finally paid off and you forget that you were face down before God, desperate for three months and he finally came through for you. 
Or, or like you got a bad health report and, and, and you changed your diet or you changed your routine and it starts turning things around for you and you're tempted to say, well, I did this and I did that and here's what made all the difference health-wise for me. Instead of, I prayed about it and God finally got me aligned with how he created me to function in the first place. And so Daniel could have been very tempted here to take the credit. To say, well, yeah, I did graduate at the top of my class in dream interpretation. And, you know, man, my hard work's paying off for me big time. Those late study nights and all that memorization. It's a good thing I'm so smart. Instead, it says, Daniel, blessed the God of heaven. He, and then he prays this incredible prayer. Again, we're going to come back and recite it a little later in the service. But I want you to notice this prayer's focus on God. It's a God-centered prayer. The references to God and to he and to him and to you. Just listen as I read it, Daniel chapter 20. It says, Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and in the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you've now made known to me what I've asked from you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. That's like 11 or 12 references to God. Again, this is a God-centered prayer. Daniel was taking none of the credit. So I want you to look at the next couple verses and and, and I want you to compare it now to Ariok's response and, and kind of weigh these two together. Verse 24 says, Therefore Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went to the king and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. So Arioch brought Daniel in before the king in haste, and he said this to the king. He said, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. So so what is Arioch doing here? He said, I have found... Ariok is what the world, the world would call a spin doctor. He says, hey, king, I found Daniel. But that's not true. Daniel found Ariok. Ariok was like two seconds away from killing them all before Daniel bought some time. But he, he's trying to look like the hero here before the king. So he says, I found your answer. It wasn't easy, king. But you can rest assured that you have at least one good get-it-done guy on your staff. I combed even through the obscure ranks of those blithering exiles. Who else would have thought of looking there? And I found what you need, king. This is a contrast of who gets the credit. Who's the hero of Ariok's story? Well, Ariok is. Who's the hero of Daniel's story? God is. And look what happens when Daniel has a chance to take the credit in verse 26. It says, The king declared to Daniel, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and he said, No wise men, no enchanters, no magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. You see, Daniel is constantly pointing the king, not to himself, but to the one true God. He basically says, I'm not that smart, king. 
But I know a God who knows all things. That, 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 and all the stuff that we don't know, he knows. By the way, if this series has inspired you to read the whole book of Daniel, this phrase right here in verse 28 also represents the entire theme of Daniel. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. That's the big idea of the whole book. I don't know about you, but it sure is hard not to be an Arioch, isn't it? Clamoring for credit. It's so tempting. Oh, you thought my sermon was good? Yeah, I did study a lot for that sucker. Oh, my kids turned out well? Yeah, well, that's what good parenting will do. The church's impact is growing. Yes, we've created some very effective strategies over the years. Now listen, guys, whatever gifts I have, whatever gifts you have, if anything good happens in my life, that is by the grace of God alone. So, so let me challenge us all. Who's the focus of your life? Is it you or God? Who's the hero of your story? You or God? Who gets the glory? Is your goal each day to show how great you are? Or is it to show how great your God is? One of the keys for Daniel was he didn't just make time to pray and then, then take matters back into his own hands. No, God was at the very center of each step. God was in focus at all times. So part of living in a godless society is we can get sucked into self-promotion. How will this affect my reputation? How do I come out looking smarter from this? How do, I start, how do I come out looking right? How do I come out advancing myself in some way? Instead of, how can I bring glory to God in this moment? So Daniel and his friends, they go to prayer, and God answers with the dream, and now the interpretation, and Daniel's ready to go tell King Nebuchadnezzar about his dream and the interpretation. So look at verse 28. It says, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these, okay? And he lays it out. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on the feet of iron and clay, and it broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. So, so the king's hearing all this. And he, and he doesn't reply. I think he was in shock. He's remembering the dream. It's all coming back to him. And so Daniel goes on immediately into the interpretation, which I'm just going to summarize. He, he starts with the good news. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. That's the good news. But your whole empire is going to crumble. Like there's a chest of silver. That's another weaker kingdom that's eventually going to take over. And then a third kingdom will come and rule the world. And that's the bronze midsection. And then a fourth kingdom will come and crush the others. That's the legs of strong iron. And then he says a divided kingdom is going to come like the feet of both iron and clay, which means it'll be kind of strong and kind of brittle. And so it ultimately, none of it will stand. All of these kingdoms will crumble under their own weight. Now, let me just hang out here for a second. Because many scholars believe that not only is Daniel prophesying to Nebuchadnezzar, but he's also pointing to the various kingdoms of the earth that are to come throughout history. And there are varying interpretations of all this, but here's my best shot at this statue. Nebuchadnezzar is the gold head, we know that. So at the top of the statue is this Babylonian empire, which lasted until about 539 BC. The chest of silver is the Medo-Persian empire, which conquered and destroyed Babylon, and it ruled until about 331 BC. 
The bronze is the Greek Empire, when Alexander the Great would lay claim to the known world, which was in power until about 63 BC. And finally, the legs of iron are the Roman Empire, which lasted until almost 500 AD. And then the feet and the toes, made partly of iron, partly of clay, could refer to the breakup of the Roman Empire into the countries that now make up Europe and the Mediterranean Basin, some strong and some weak. And it's out of that old Roman Empire that what we call Western civilization came to be. Now, it's significant that no global empire has ever arisen after the Roman Empire broke up. Just as this prophecy suggests, and please, no one should be basing major theological positions on this stuff. These are just best guess kind of interpretations. However, the important part that Daniel makes very clear about all of this is that earthly power and its incredible splendor stands on a shaky human foundation and it turns out to be utterly vulnerable every time. He said eventually all of the broken pieces of all of these earthly kingdoms will be like chaff on the threshing floor. And you know what happens to that chaff? It gets blown away, just scattered away by the summer wind. That's the picture. That the greatest earthly kingdoms, they don't hold a candle to the mighty kingdom of God. And remember, what ultimately caused that tower to crumble, verse 34 says, a stone struck the image. And he goes on in 35 to say, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So you see, during the time of those earthly kings and the, the earthly kingdoms, the God of heaven is at the same time gonna be setting up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and that is stronger by far than all of the great empires of history. It is a kingdom that will endure forever. And Daniel here is prophesying about what would be the hinge of human history. He wouldn't live to see it himself, neither would centuries of people to follow him, and they would wonder, will it ever come? Will what Daniel prophesied ever actually come true? What might it actually look like? And then one day, an obscure carpenter from an obscure town began an itinerant ministry by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is now at hand. And Jesus' kingdom is what the world was waiting for. Jesus was the stone, not cut by human hands. This carpenter was more powerful than all of the other kings, all of the other empires, emperors of history. And Peter calls him in 1 Peter 2, 4, the living stone. That's a direct reference to Daniel chapter 2 rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, the first stone of what would become the mountain of the kingdom of God. It's the Messiah. It's the kingdom that we talked about for the past two months in our Deconstructing Jesus series. He describes it in more detail in verse 44. It says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people, it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. I love his boldness there. But here's the third principle as we face down God-sized problems in a godless society. It's to remember which kingdom you belong to. So Daniel stood before the most powerful man in the world and he boldly declared his allegiance to a greater kingdom. Remember, he's breaking the news to the king that his dream meant that the king is gonna die, that his kingdom is gonna crumble. But he's actually trying to point Nebuchadnezzar to God in the process. He's gently reminding the king that God is not just the God of Israel, but he's the God of the whole world. And he's the God of Nebuchadnezzar too. 
And chapter 2 concludes, we actually see Nebuchadnezzar fall to his knees and acknowledge the one true God. And he gives Daniel a huge promotion. Now, the, his expression of faith was temporary. It was an emotional one. It was not permanent. And we'll see that in the coming chapters. But a seed was planted with the king because of Daniel's actions. And as we read this, there can be no doubt in anyone's mind that Daniel is part of a different kingdom. His faith wasn't just a weekend thing. It permeated every part of his life. And his kingdom, God's kingdom, will be the only true lasting kingdom that Daniel now declares. Every earthly kingdom has weaknesses and cracks. I, I, I become wary of the message that we hear from some Christian circles these days that said, you know, we need to take America back. We need to fight for the founding fathers or whatever. Listen, America is not the same thing as the kingdom of God. In fact, do you know where America is in this vision? It's among the rubble. It's among the chaff blowing in the wind. That's where all earthly kingdoms land. We're not fighting for the soul of America. We're fighting for the kingdom of God. Every kingdom we align ourselves with that is not God's kingdom is going to one day crumble and be blown away. And God is saying, mankind, you can do whatever you want for a while, but it doesn't last forever. And eventually your best laid plans, all of your so-called power, all of your so-called authority, is going to be blown away like the dust of a threshing floor. And Biden and Putin and Zelensky and Xi and Trudeau and whoever else, even the mightiest earthly empires are only temporary because history is not determined by earthly rulers, but by the hand of a living God. And God is setting up his ultimate kingdom. And it's an everlasting kingdom. And listen, for you, Christian, we're talking about how you walk through a God-sized problem. When you do, you're declaring which kingdom you're a part of. The kingdom of this world the kingdom of heaven. And so I ask you, what kingdom do you align with during times of crisis? The kingdom of good feelings, the kingdom of your friends, the kingdom of your status, the kingdom of success, the kingdom of influence, or the kingdom of the king of kings and the lord of lords? Let me just challenge you with a couple of practical next steps. The first is this. Will you just identify a God-sized problem? Like life in a godless society provides a series of God-sized problems that keep us leaning on him, depending on him, trusting in him, seeking him. So your problem might be big or small. It might involve your finances or your marriage or your parenting or your work or relationship. It might be a problem in our broader community or our broader society that God just won't let go of in your heart. Maybe all the experts and the counselors, maybe all the politicians out there, whatever, have run out of answers. So, so does anything like that come to mind? Now, as you call that to mind, I want to go back and, and challenge you with the very first thing that Daniel did as our takeaway today. That is to make time to pray. Like, when is it in the next week that you can find a window of time to devote to prayer about that thing, that particular problem? And here's how I would advise you. Bring your Bible with you. Bring a journal. Bring a pen. Find a quiet and worshipful place. Maybe alert a few friends to pray with you like Daniel did. And just ask God. Listen to God. Seek God. Write down what he says to you. And if you will do that, I'm convinced you will find him. Because unlike the gods of Babylon or the so-called gods of our day, Yahweh, our God, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of his Holy Spirit, our God is available. He does dwell among men. He is close at hand. And like he did for Daniel, he will walk with you through your God-sized problem. And he will provide his very presence for the journey. I love you guys.